Dunk on dunkers. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP, and I'm here with Father Chuck, who's eating something. I was going to put a piece of ice in my mouth. Oh, is it because it's really hot in Hawaii, like warm and tropical and, you know, just all around nice where you live? It was um, it was actually kind of chilly this morning at like sixty eight degrees. Oh, I, uh, chilly sixty eight degrees. I need to put on a jacket when I went outside put to a jacket. Put surfboard on my car. Good lord. <sighs> Hello, Father Chuck. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, actually. Living in Hawaii and uh, all right. You don't have to. You know, right. we know that. We know that. Uh, you know, got a wonderful family. It's all uh, good. Here's a good uh, Browning family life story. Okay. So Cora, our eight-month-old daughter, mm-hmm. uh, we have a little like swing, a little rocking swing that we put her in, you know, and yeah. she sometimes takes her naps in the little rocking swing, right? So Kane is downstairs doing stuff uh, around the house, and then she hears Cora kind of, you know, not crying, but just, you know, making sounds, letting everybody know she's awake, you know, just the kind of sounds that babies make. And so Kana, Kana's like, Ken is like finishing up, like doing a dish or something. So it's like, you know, like a minute or two after she hears the cry, she's like, oh, I'll go up there. So she goes, she goes up to the stairs because we live in a two-story townhouse. She goes up the stairs and when she gets to the, like the landing up and looking at the second flight of stairs, there's Cora just looking down the stairs at her. <laughs> so Cora managed to get out of her swing without like hurting herself, like a moving swing managed to like time her way out of it without even hearing like a thud. And then she's just free crawling around on the second story of our house with Lord only knows what she could put into her mouth or uh, tumble down the stairs. So we have a baby gate now. You got a Tommy Pickles on your hands. Oh no. (laughs) You gotta check that diaper for screwdrivers. (laughs) They're rebooting that show. Are they? Really? Why why do I sound so surprised? I'm not surprised. That's not. Original voice cast though. It's gonna be CGI. Hmm. Huh, that'll be weird. It was already kind yeah. of weird animation. It it sort of looks like like if they did like a like an HD remaster of a Nintendo sixty four game. Very strange. It's like yeah, because it already looked like it made out it was made out of play doh. You know what I mean? Like it had that <laughs> play doh. Actually, it, it'd probably be better if they claymated it. Yeah, probably. That's true. They're claymating the Modoc show. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> With Patton Oswald as as Modoc, yeah. Which I mean, I'm sure they had to really like twist his arm to to agree to do that. Like it's comedy and it's Marvel money, sure. <laughs> yeah. So he um, was he was great on Agents of Shield, so he's already got some background in the franchise, right? Uh, well, I I hope everyone enjoyed our uh, our Wandavision episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I'm going to do it anyway. I actually think it might be one of our favorite titles, one of my favorite titles that we've done. Uh, two hours of WandaVision con- content. <laughs> um, because I'm just being honest. It's what it is. 
<laughs> yep. It's what it is. <laughs> Two hours of one. It is almost as long as like half the show. Uh, probably. It's more like one hour, 45 minutes, but two hours just sounds better. Um, it's one of my favorite ones. Another one of my favorite ones is uh, Your Fave is Satanic. I like yes. that one. I like floppy Navi ears. That's a good one. I don't know. Listener. No, if, no if I think, I think, I think, I think, I think my favorite title is one that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks that I told you about this morning. Oh. The one yeah. for a certain saint. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be difficult to follow that one up with the right thumbnail. Uh, I'll say that. Uh, but it's it's going to be good. Yeah, that's a good you one. Just use, I think you could just use a certain movie's uh, cover art and then just like Photoshop like a Bishop's Miter on someone's head and you got it. <laughs> I don't, is that sacrilegious? Is that, is that going to get you so. in trouble? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, we'll, we'll keep that in the hopper for the next step. Um, feel like I need to, I need to, uh, I need to wear my heart on my sleeve for a minute. Do I, do I need to put stole on? Is this going to be like confession? Not really confession. I mean, I guess I, it, hmm, that's interesting. It could be. I, I do feel like I, I kind of violated, uh, <clears throat> one of my own sort of unspoken codes. Oh, okay. I think, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> so like, okay, listen, we talked two hours about WandaVision. All right. We did. I, I watched the show twice for the episode, and I liked it. I had fun. And something you gotta understand is, like, you know, I wasn't kidding when I said, like, this is sort of me coming back to Marvel in a little bit. Uh, I really did kind of part ways, not just with Marvel, but just sort of, like, fandom in general. You know, I kind of, I wanted to pursue uh, a bunch of movies I'd never seen before, because I feel like there's, like, all these gaps that I really want to fill, and I really want to kind of work on, like, a new canon of movies that I love. And I made this whole list of movies that Martin Scorsese recommended. I'm kind of going through that, and I'm, like, really kind of rediscovering my love of cinema. And then, you know, I, I we started watching WandaVision, and I'm kind of dipping my toe back into the fandom pool. And as you know, I, I kind of am I'm, I'm in this sort of back and forth with social media. I hate it. I want to quit it. But like I find it too useful, <laughs> and also it's kind of one of the only things I can do to sort of like make life bearable at the moment. You, you sound a little bit like like Jack Twist talking to Ennis in Brokeback Mountain. Oh, how can I? I, quit I you? wish I knew. How, I wish I knew how to quit you. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I become attached to a Marvel property for the first time in a very long time, a fandom property, if you will. And I'm also kind of like kind of going back and forth on this Twitter thing. And then something went viral over the weekend. And it was a tweet from some writer. I don't know who. I'm going to spare you all the torture and not really go into specifics so you don't seek it out. Um, but a, uh, I think a TV writer tweeted about one of the lines in the last episode that aired, which was, what is grief but love persevering? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Vision says that to Wanda. And it's like an image of that with that in the subtitles. And she, her tweet was like basically praising it, saying how great it was, that all writers should learn from it, blah, blah, blah. And that went viral. And of course, what happens when you really like something and it goes viral on the internet? <laughs> Especially in a place like Twitter. It's just, it's Dunksville, baby. 
it's like here's a new here's a new pinata for all of us to beat the crap out of and uh, we're gonna rip it open and then act like we all did something seismic yeah it, it pushed me over the edge a little bit like it did kind of put me in a weird spot and I don't think it's because I'm like attached to WandaVision. It's I know that people talk a lot about how fans overreact when someone critiques something they like. It's because they identify with it and so they feel like it's a personal attack. That's not what this was. I don't think that's what this was. Right. I seem to remember I seem to remember someone I know who once got very defensive when a certain film critic who pretends to be a certain comic book character said something about something this person liked and called him out on it and got blocked on Twitter from said <laughs> comic book character film critic. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> that was during... That was a very different time. <laughs> uh, I was sort of taking joy in, in, in owning people online. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I will say I, there was a certain, you know, splash of adrenaline knowing that he blocked me because of this very uh, crude thing I said to them. <laughs> but I still stand by my by my uh, feeling that this certain critic who pretends to be a superhero is full of crap. <laughs> um, I don't like most of the things he writes. Did he deserve that? Probably not. But it did feel good. You're right. I, I should have done that. It was bad. Hey, I'm, I'm not. I'm not making any <laughs> accusations. I'm not throwing anything at you. I'm just saying that I have seen this happen before. Exactly what you're talking about now. I think I just got really upset with like the way the conversation seemed to be going, which is that like uh, people were sort of people who were really critical against that line, which I should make the case. I don't think it's a great line. I think it really I think it works really well within the context. I think if you put it on a pillow, it'd be like, yeah, that probably deserves like to be like on a magnet or a pillow or something, right? It's kind of one of those quotes. Yeah. But like within the context of the show, it works. The conversation seemed to be going that like if you like this thing, you know, you're like a weird nerd. You're a weird person. The first time I dip my toe back into the fandom pool, this is what happens. Like not even like a couple of days go by and I'm already like tearing my hair out over like the discourse yes the conversation yeah because that's that's the thing that sucks you, you could have just been like i don't like this line but like you had to go into like oh we got to talk about the show now why it's bad and like why if you like it you're supporting the department of defense and like <laughs> i get it hey i know hey, man. disney ate a studio it sucks but like- i like the show Look, man, I, you know, I feel you in this, right? Because it was like, what, two years ago that I was like, I was on, I was, there was a meme account that I followed about climate change, <laughs> climate meme. Yeah. And somebody, the guy was, the the poster of the account was saying, well, made some con- was, you know, making a point of sort of criticism, or was making a point about electric vehicles. And all these people were saying that like electric vehicles are like exclusively the realm of like the wealthy elite or whatever. And I chimed in that I bought an electric car for $7,000. I didn't pay cash $7,000 for a car. Like I was making payments on the thing, yeah. but I had people like jumping down my throat. Like I had, uh, like I'm like throat, like I'm like making it rain with money. Like I'm like, <laughs> you know, just like dripping. 
and uh, like it just it blew me away at the vitriol and people of course are like commenting on like intersectionality and like it just taking it to a whole other place where i'm just basically like being like look no i'm, I'm just trying to say you can find an electric car like seven thousand dollars is not unreasonable for a used car and you can get an electric car in fact it was the it was the cheapest used car on the lot where i was at mm-hmm. and i was just trying to say like you can't use that as an excuse anymore but yeah. apparently like I'm not up to date on ecofeminism, so <laughs> I should just keep my mouth shut. I don't know. It's it's all become like spectacle, right? It's not even really about the conversation. It's not about making a point. It's not about you know, or even like you're really having an opinion. It's all about like participating in some kind of fireworks show, and like you you get your well, kicks out of it. It's like pulling that lever on the slot machine or playing a video game, like. Well, it's bit, a bit of it is, um, you know, the, I've, I've mentioned it, this book a few times, I think, on our podcast. I know I've mentioned it to you several, several times, but it's the book. It's one of the books that really changed my life and how I deal with stuff in pop culture. And that is um, on bullshit because yeah, this this is bullshit. What we're talking about here is absolute, complete, apparent, platonic ideal of bullshit. I mean, technically, that's what I was trying to tell film Crick Hole, but <laughs> I did it in a very glib way. <laughs> I didn't remember what you said. I told you to shut the up. That's right. Sorry, I'm bringing up old wounds. I apologize. Yeah, that's fine. You know what? Screenwriters agree with me. They don't like him either. So, well, and the thing, so, but yeah, this, I mean, this, but what you're getting at is, and then this is what our episode is about, right? Is this conversation around the conversation right about the discourse the discourse and how like people can't just enjoy things anymore yeah and i don't mean that like in that like that comic the comic book that let people enjoy things comic meme yeah like yeah but it's 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 not like in that sense of like like don't be critical you're not allowed to to say anything anymore like i don't mean like that i mean in the sense that like that not only can somebody not post their enjoyment of something on social media without running without somebody feeling they have to issue some kind of hot take. But I'm also convinced that this whole discourse has affected us in such a way that we who participate in it can't actually enjoy things because we are not actually engaging with it. We are constantly thinking about the discourse. Right. Which is something that like professionals had to worry about, not, everyday people (laughs) right like if you're a professional critic i get it that's gonna happen to you where it's like you have to watch a bunch of movies right if you're a film critic you gotta watch a bunch of movies or a video game critic you have to play a bunch of games and while you're playing these games or watching these movies movies you do have to kind of think like right how am i gonna approach this when i eventually have to write about it right well yeah yeah i mean it's like you know it's like when we do music mayhem or like when we do like movie reviews for this podcast right like when i'm you know when i'm when I just put it on to watch or put it in the background to listen to it, like I'm enjoying it, mm-hmm. you know, but when I'm preparing for the thing that we're doing, I'm like thinking of, I like listening to it or watching it with an eye to like, Oh, here's the thing I want to talk about. Or here's some like, Oh, I could bring this up and it would make a funny joke or a yeah. funny observation or right. whatever. Right. I'm, you know, so when you have to watch it, like I feel a little bit about this when we did for Madaku, when we watched um, vampire hunter, Robin hmm. is that you, which hunter, Robin. Like, or Witch Hunter Robin. Sorry. I, I'm always going to confuse Vampire Hunter D. Anyway, <laughs> it's okay. Is um, Witch Hunter Robin that when that like watching it, 
and it's kind of, I kind of think same thing with, I mean, less with Akira, because I'd seen Akira like in bits and pieces. I had not seen it all the way through in one sitting, but like Witch Hunter Robin, I'd never seen before. I know anything. So I had to watch it for the show. And so I'm watching it to try to get material out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rather exactly. than just to engage with it the way that Matt engaged with it and loved it. And so like, that's a hard thing. It is. And that's why when we did Music Mayhem and we did Nirvana, I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to let this album wash over me. Mm-hmm. And I was very explicit about that. And I wish I, I wish I could have told you guys about that like before we went off to listen to it because I didn't know when we actually convened. I was like, no, just tell me your your personal thoughts about this album uh, because I'm pretty sure you guys probably did like serious legit thoughts. And I'm just like, just tell me your feelings, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, yeah, and I, and I think like that's why it's why when I prepare for our stuff here, I do it like multiple times. Right. Like I do it one time. Where I'm just like not thinking about it. Another time where I'm more critical and another time, maybe I'm just, just to kind of bring it home to see what else I can get out of it. Um, but like, yeah. And I, and I feel like that's, that's happening on an everyday person level, which is, it, it shouldn't be like, it, it's become right. part of, um, the cultures. Everybody has to be a critic in some way. Everyone has to have an opinion. Everyone has to have a reaction. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, everyone does have an opinion, right? It's an old yeah. saying that, right? Like, you know, opinions are like armpits or opinions are like, you know, assholes. Like, you know, everybody's got one and they stink, right? Like, that's, it's an old cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that sense of having to have one, right? That, 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 that pressure, that feeling that like, you know, I've got to weigh in on this. And, that, you know, and it's not just pop culture stuff, right? It's, you know, like, I mean, I just remember... You know, I was, you know, being being a millennial, an old millennial, um, and being among the first millennials to be ordained in the Episcopal Church. You know, we were, you know, sort of expected to be the technology, social media savvy. You know, we're the ones that are going to bring the church into the 21st century. Um, and so there was this pressure on us all throughout seminary to be like really engaged in social media and be like the social media presence. And, you know, and so then as a priest, I mean, that every, you know, everything that went on, like we had to have opinions on, we had to weigh in on it. You know, it's like, if you weren't commenting, you know, and theologizing on everything that you were, you know, you were neglecting your duties as a priest and pastor. And it got tough. Cause I mean, when I, when I was at my last church and I was the only priest, right. It would, there, I would feel these pressures, you know, to talk about these things. But I realized that the majority of my congregation, they're not extremely online people. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, they're, they're our parents age and older and they have no idea what any of that stuff was. So then like, now I have to sort of like introduce them to this concept and then mm-hmm. here's why you should be angry. Right. It just, you know, <laughs> it, <clears throat> but it, you know, but I think yeah. that that's, you know, but that this whole thing, it just, you know, it, it impacts us. It impacts the way that I thought about preaching because I was thinking a lot about, you know, how if my sermon is going to be, you know, if, if God forbid it goes viral, what are people going to hear in it? I want to make sure that it, you know, passes muster and is, yeah. you know, you know, even though I didn't have the term at the time, but that's like cancel proof or whatever. Hmm. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different ways that we can talk about this and the way that it affects yeah, I mean, I, it's it's interesting when you when you brought that up earlier in our chat, we were t- chatting about this earlier um, uh, about how it affected your preaching. I th- I mean, I find that to be kind of that sucks <laughs> uh, because you know it shouldn't be that way, and uh, and I think it is sort of seeping in. It, it's weird how it seeps into real life because I've noticed that it's it, that it's like 
seeped into into movies, especially TV shows or like newer films, where like people sound like a Twitter timeline. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the most egregious example of that is like when I watched Birds of Prey, uh, the Harley Quinn movie, where I was just like this mm-hmm. just this feels like someone at Bustle wrote this. The way oh, they're yeah. talking to each other and the way the humor is is being directed and stuff. I liked the movie okay. But I just couldn't like get the idea of like a girl living in like Brooklyn, New York, who like I mean the whole thing with like Harley Quinn is like in love with the egg sandwich, and she calls like the guy the guy who plays it her dad, who runs it her dad. I'm just like that. That just to me that's like a, a writer at bustle, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It. Well, you know, like for me, like I think about. Well, I think about what happened between Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and how it very much felt like Batman v Superman was reacting to the online discourse to Man of Steel. And then Justice League was an attempt at reacting to the online discourse about Batman v Superman. Right. And and first of all, I know that happens. And I know that happened. I know that Marvel is paying attention to it because (laughs) Mm -hmm. after Man of Steel, their movies are all about like, oh, we have to protect everybody and make sure the building like nobody died in the building and then what was civil war all about you know like they're definitely there's there's some back and forth and and i I, want to tell people as as a as a pseudo insider of the film industry uh they do pay attention to that kind of stuff they are reading your twitter timelines and your forum posts and Mm -hmm. they are writing around them uh and it became pretty obvious in game of thrones when they started doing that uh, because they pretty much acted out a meme that had been circulating for years. It only this thing only existed as a meme, but then they actually put it in the show. And it's like it's hard to be <laughs> the fanboy inside you is like they did it. Oh my god, yes! But then like the person inside you who respects art <laughs> and like uh, wants to be a serious connoisseur of culture uh, is like um maybe we shouldn't be doing that because it does go against a lot of what george r R. martin was trying to accomplish in his work i'm sure this all came out like after the like the point where the the storyline is covering books that have not been published yes yes yeah Mm -hmm. because what what it it was it was something called clegane bowl and if you're a hardcore game of thrones fan you know exactly what i'm talking about the game bowl is is you know how shipping is like when fans want two characters to get yeah, together? Yeah. The game mm-hmm. bowl was like that, but instead of getting together, it was like they wanted these two characters to fight. But they were never meant to fight each other or to have like an ultimate battle. But like the the books, the the shows, and it kind of made it look like it was culminating to that sort of. But in the books, it's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the characters like disappears halfway through the series and you don't really know what happens to him. And he's mentioned, he's mentioned vaguely throughout the rest of it. Um, but in the show, like, yeah, they made it happen. They made the game bowl happen and people went nuts over it. Well, it's, but the other it's sort people of like, were like, why would you do that? Like, why would you put a meme in game of Thrones? Like, I thought we were going to take this seriously. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like when they included the, the, the line from the juggernaut in X-Men. Yeah, exactly. Last stand. And, um, and, or like, you know, people have been noting that Joker, and then Snyder oh Cut God, yes. says, you know, we live in a society, which apparently is its own meme. Yeah. And uh, that, by the way, in, uh, when I found out that was a meme, I, I, I did some research. I went to Know Your Meme, and a, a whole new alleyway of the internet was opened up to me. Oh, that, you didn't I, know that was a meme? I, 
I did not. That's amazing. I've I've wow, that's amazing. That is a that is a that's like one of the big memes, like Joker saying we live in a society. Like that's that's a big one. Well, what 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 I got was the connection to a very particular kind of gamer culture. Yeah. Oh, okay. And their aesthetic that yeah. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I could have done without that. Yeah, that's kind of how it. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it came about. Was talking about incels and stuff, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, I say all of that to. What am I saying? Oh, I'm just saying how it's it's seeping into real life, and I feel like it started. I know you have your theory about Pokemon and stuff, but I, I feel like it, it started with. Um, with like Yelp, where all of a sudden everybody was like a food critic, right? And see, they're... My, theory, my theory about my Pokemon theory predates Yelp. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I'm sure our listeners are like, who's a Pokemon theory? <laughs> What's your explain your Pokemon theory? All right, so I'll tell you that this idea. It came to mind when I was working as a computer lab assistant tech, whatever I was. Um, it was when MySpace was new. Okay. And I think we had just gotten Facebook and I started getting friend requests from people at our university that I had never in my life met in like never had any kind of real interaction with. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, why, why are people, why would you request my friendship? Like we don't know each other. Like this is not what this is about. I used, you know, I remember there was like that early on, there was that etiquette around yeah. like my space where it was like, you were only friends with people you'd actually ever really talk to. Yeah. There was a very misogynistic word we use for people who, uh, who, who accumulated friends on MySpace? Uh, MySpace whore. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I I remember thinking I'm like, but then I started looking at the age of these people, and I made a and I made a judgment. Yeah. Um, ageism. Um, but I realized I'm like, wait, this is the age group that like grew up Pokemon. And like, are they approaching this as like, got to catch them all? Like you're trying to get as many friends. And it started to kind of really feel like that. And I started to think about that a lot more. And I think I'm right. I think that that, that, that mindset of being fostered with like, you know, digitally collecting a bunch of things and gamifying something like this mm-hmm. is ingrained in a particular, like in our generation and those just under us. And and that's ultimately just fed into the whole culture of social media to where now it's all about, right? Like, I mean, you see these, you know, you can buy likes. There's all these tips online on how to, you know, in, oh, you know, yeah. increase your reach and get more likes. And, you know, and it's no, no, no conversation about like, why? Why do you want more likes? Why do you want more followers, right? Unless like it only makes sense if you're trying to sell something. Mm-hmm. But like there are people who are doing it. They're not selling anything. It's just... I guess, I mean, they're selling themselves. I, I, I mean, I don't know what the deal is, but it, I guess, becomes a form of validation to have like a million people reading everything that you post and looking at every photo that you post. But um, but I think it all kind of boils down to that idea that it's just that mindset of got to collect them all. Right. And now that's delved into where you do everything. And you, again, you're gamifying it to where the way you dress, the things you post, like everything's you know, a certain brand, right? And it's yeah. a conceit that's considered like a virtue to be like branding yourself and being on brand and ultimately, you know, done to get all these people. And then, I mean, you can make money at it, I suppose, but like ultimately like. I think that's what's kind of weird about this conversation is that ultimately we're going to end up talking about the singularity and how we're basically taking orders from our computers. I wasn't thinking about going there, but because <laughs> yeah. that's where my mind was going. Like, yeah, I just, 
but it's just it's sort of I mean, but like for me, the more the more the thing I'm more concerned about, or just you know, that I see in it is, and I notice it for myself, and this is one of the reasons why I've left social media pretty is you know for the most part, and that is that when you're when you're living into this sort of gamified version of of things, you're not actually living your life. Yes. Your own life is at best being mediated back to you because everything like, you know, you're, you know, I see that, you know, living in Hawaii, I see it all the time with like, you know, the way people like pose for photos at the same spots, you know, people queue up to all get the same photo at, you know, this, you know, cliff or, you know, whatever. And, you know, they take the picture and then immediately they're, they're, they're posting or whatever. And then they move on. They don't actually just stop and like, look at the thing there there to see yeah Mm -hmm. it's like they will look at it later so right like they're posting it to the future so that they can look at it later and so you know you're not you're not really ever present you're not actually ever really living your own life right because you're constantly thinking about all this other stuff well it's like those people that record it who record video like concerts you know what i mean yeah, or like a firework show. That that's the one that always kind of baffles me. <laughs> like these beautiful fireworks are right in front of you, and they're not going to look good on your camera <laughs> unless you have unless you've got like unless you've got like a digital red camera. Yeah, those unless, fireworks aren't looking good. Unless you have a digital red camera on a drone. Yeah, <laughs> no reason to. Um, drone shots of fireworks are cool, by the way. They are cool. Um, yeah, and and that's. That's that's the kind of feedback loop I think, uh, sort of the feedback loop as, aspect of it, where you're sort of living for the algorithm, essentially, right? Um, those getting those clicks and those likes, those likes, and, and sort right. of maximizing your SEO. Yeah, and that and, you know I, I can see how that kind of goes back to Pokemon. You know, you know, you, you uh, got to catch them all. I was approaching it from the early days of Yelp. Right. When I think I mean, South Park even did an episode about this. Yeah, so it was a great episode. On it. <laughs> it's really good. Um, where uh, who whose dad was it? Was it Kyle's, Kyle's dad? Kyle's dad. Yeah. Um, what was his name again? Gerald. Gerald Berflowski. Yeah, Gerald becomes just like kind of famous for posting reviews to Yelp. And every time he's writing a Yelp review about a restaurant, it's like just super pretentious. He's like he's like sipping wine, and there's like classical music playing. Gerald, we're going to the park. You want to come along? Sorry, honey, this review for Applebee's has turned into a fifty pager. Then I have a polish on Ruby Tuesdays. Why don't you take a break from yelping, Gerald? You seem a little overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. Sometimes I don't know what I've gotten myself into. But now everyone relies on my Yelp reviews, and I I don't want to let anyone down. Well, there's chicken in the fridge if you get hungry. Thanks, but I, I gotta yelp a new place in C.T. Pot Town tonight. God, I'm so damn tired. Okay, have fun. Ha, fun, she says. In finality, I would say my experience at Applebee's was sublime and my treatment near that of a gladiator most decorated. But the street parking wasn't that great. Two and a half stars. Um, but like, that's, I mean, that's, that's, I don't know if it's still like that, but that's kind of what it was where it's like these, I mean, everybody had a writer to Yelp review and then like your well, business... review bombing is still, review bombing is still a thing. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, businesses started kind of depending on 
the upper. I remember like when you and I were in college, we kind of schemed on like going to a restaurant in a Yelp t-shirt or something and just seeing like how they would treat us. <laughs> yes. Uh, they never did that. We never did that, but uh, I think it was, I still think it would have been kind of funny to see what happened. Um, but yeah, like that, that's what I'm saying. Like, and, and that's kind of my, my fear of uh, there's this one social media site that I really like because I don't think it has been affected in the same way that like Instagram or Facebook or Twitter has. Although it has seen its fair share of drama, especially recently, Letterboxed, mm-hmm. which is a social media site for people who just want to talk about movies. It's a place where you can post reviews, uh, lists, you can catalog the movies you watch. Um, and I love it. I think it's fun. I love uh, I love to like curate, you know, that's kind of one of my favorite things to do, like especially when it comes to movies. And so like I have a ton of lists that I've made. Um you know, top tens and, and, you know, filmographies. Sometimes I'll make like a list of movies to watch. that have like something in common. Um, so yeah, I use it for that. And sometimes I'll, I'll write the occasional review. Um, but it does, it has gotten to a point where I started posting to Instagram, my, my letterboxed activities. <laughs> and I still going to do it. Like when you watch, when you log a movie, you have like an activity log and it shows you the last four movies you watched. And I'll post that to Instagram, mostly because I don't have any friends on Letterboxd. <laughs> All my friends are on Instagram. So like I'll, I post like the last four movies. Well, I, well, like after a while, I became like um, dependent on that, right? Like the way I watched movies. I'm like, oh, wait, I can't watch this movie yet. It wouldn't look good with my last four watched. Mm-hmm. So I have to put that off till tomorrow and I'll, I'll watch this one because that'll be good, good with that. And then see, and then. And this is the you're gonna like laugh your ass off of this, Chuck. I did last four. I did a last four watch post, and then I watched a bunch of movies, and I didn't. I I wrote them down so that I could post about them on Letterboxd, so that I could post about them on Instagram. Um, it's just weird how that snowballs. Like maybe it's just maybe I have a personality disorder. I don't know. Well, you know, I mean, you know, Letterbox and what you're doing is is no different than like you're working at the video rental store and you're making your recommendations, <laughs> yeah, right? Like that's yeah. that's that's cool, but once you have like an audience, it's kind of yeah. like that episode of Seinfeld where Elaine, where Elaine is always getting this one guy's picks. Do you remember this one? Yeah, I do. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. What was his name? Was it Leo's picks or something? Leo. Uh, maybe because they all had like and, different names. Like this, like Bill's sucks and Leo's are the yeah. ones. Yeah. And then, um, and then she picks one from the guy, from Kramer's preferred, yeah, person. And then he like replaces all of the movies with like some titles called like Betrayed or whatever. <laughs> yeah. What? Betrayed? Excuse me. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. And because now he has an audience, because he's like calling her in the middle of the night to be like, "Did you like the movie?" Yeah, he sends her uh, the play button on his VCR. Yeah. 
and she wears and it, it as out, a necklace. And it turns out he's like 14. Yeah. But it's the same thing we're dealing with here, right? It's just, it's just like, oh, I'm putting up my recommendations and just sort of putting it out there, you know, for somebody to think. But then once you know you have an audience, now you realize, oh, there's an expectation. Yeah, because now I started posting my actual reviews. I was just going to use it just to rate and put them up there. But now I'm like, I think I could write reviews. And now I have four reviews. And if you ask me, I actually think they're written pretty well, to be honest. Uh <laughs> Well, follow yeah, me on Letterboxd, well, friends. And, well, and the thing is, is you're and the thing is, is you're you know you're using that as a way to to you know exercise your writing muscles and all of that. Like that, that's all good stuff, right? I mean, yeah. and, and we also have to be honest. We have to acknowledge the obvious truth too that you know we do that with this podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then again, we're putting together a show. We're putting together a product. Yeah. That's not us. Yeah, and that's and I, and and that's kind of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying this podcast. I don't want us to be the like SEO chasers. WandaVision. Part of me was inspired by the fact that oh, this is kind of hot right now. We should talk about this, but also like I just wanted to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, you know, Dan Harmon's podcast Harmon Town is still my all-time favorite podcast, and it's because. And it's maybe because he comes from a from a from a position of immense privilege, uh, because he's a famous TV show writer. But like he didn't do the podcast because he wanted hits, or he wanted to promote something, or he was trying to chase the SEO dragon. He just needed to get his thoughts out. He used it as therapy, and that's what it always was—just a guy wearing his heart on his sleeve. Every episode, you're going to hear some really private stuff and sometimes i wouldn't recommend it to my mom you know um but it was it was fun to watch and it was inspiring and i i loved watching it and i think also why i loved it is because it was a live show it wasn't like a guy in a studio or a guy like over zoom or something even though they did kind of do a studio segment for a little while um but he was up on stage with his friends and then like he would just bitch about just whatever and then they played Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and then do some kind of funny improv bit because it was fun. They were having fun. Right. And that's well, it's kind of like Mark Maron, right? Mark Maron started his podcast as a type of therapy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And he, he had so many famous friends anyway. You know, he just he just mm-hmm. asked them to be on the podcast and they came on. So and that's kind of like when when you first pitched this podcast to me, I, I say pitch as if we had like a business meeting and you were like, you came with like a business friend. <laughs> No, we, when we were first talking about this podcast, like that's what I was thinking about was Harmontown was like, I'm just going to like ask my friends tough questions and just see what they say. Right. And we'll talk about nerdy stuff. We'll talk about stuff. They're theological. And we're just going to like take this journey to see where it goes. I think me and Matt going to that like convention was like a very like we're going to try to be like nerdist <laughs> kind of thing, you know, like going to try to be yeah. like our, our big outlets that we sort of follow. Um, I think there at one point that was kind of like the vision for us was like we're going to be like a yeah. big like culture blog or something a culture like media empire. Um, kind of makes me think of like the what they were trying to do in the early days of Badass Digest so they were trying to make yeah. it like a nerd lifestyle blog yeah. and just you know they decided now we're some time with movies. Um, yeah, what I, what I also find interesting for us too is that like if we have a brand, it wasn't like a calculated brand. No. You know, we're not like good Christian fun right? or something where like there's a 
you know, a certain aesthetic and certain, you know, wheelhouse thing that you're trying to achieve. Like if we have that, it's just sort of what's grown organically out of us and our just weird upbringings. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I think so too. Um, and, and it's like, I, I think there are times where I, I try to nail it down, but can't quite. And I just kind of give up and I'm like, you know, we're just doing, we're just doing our thing. <laughs> People want to listen to us. They can, uh, if not, well, I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that we have like a, I don't know, a brand or whatever. But, um, I do know that we should never change the name Masters of Divinity since Rob Bell said that, you know what, that sounds like a, a podcast with smart people. <laughs> I mean, it's just, what, how much more validation do you need? You know, that should, that we should like, we should release like a compilation tape or something <laughs> and then have that as a blurb. Like, yeah. In order. Yeah. It sounds like a podcast with smart people, Rob Bell. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, um, but anyway, back to the thing at hand. I mean, I think that, you know, it is, it is something frustrating and I can see why it becomes heartbreaking to dip your toe back into something and just to be reminded why you left. Yeah. It sucks. I mean, it, it really, I, and just let people enjoy things. Yeah. And I guess what's frustrating to me about it is, to have somebody screen grab a line that really resonated with them and in the moment of like of excitement to put it out there mm -hmm. and then to immediately be shot down for it by it and then to be called a weird nerd by people for doing that thing. Yeah. That that goes back to like what nerds were dealing with in like the eighties and nineties. Right. <laughs> it's well, bullying. Yeah, and you know, people feel righteous about it because of, you know, like like I said. Marvel is subsidized by the Department of Defense. <laughs> Disney ate a studio last year. So it's like, oh, well, these people have all the power in the world. They're, they're you know, most successful media empire in history, giant conglomerates. But it's like, you know, you're not, you're not attacking that by dunking on someone on Twitter. You're partaking, right. like I said, it's a, it's a spectacle. Mm -hmm. You're just, you're actually just attacking a person who liked something like, Right. Well, and, and also, I mean, if somebody can use if somebody can use all of that other stuff as the background to be able to communicate something that impacts people on an emotional level that could potentially even change their lives and in the long run, loop back around and transform even the system that makes that conglomerate exist the way it does, then yeah. like, why do you feel the need to criticize them for that? Yeah, that's true. You know, um, it's, it's this mistaken idea that you're like punching up. Right. Which I don't even understand what that phrase means. Um, I, it's like you're being subversive. No, I mean, I, I, no, I mean, I get the idea of what like punching up versus punching down. Like I get like what the, what the, what the sentiment is supposed to mean. Just having a background in martial arts. I'm just like <laughs> punching, punching down. Well, isn't even, it's like, what Johnny affected. Cage does. Let's dance. Oh, right. Okay. Right. No. You know Johnny <laughs> nope. Cage is supposed to be Van Damme? Do you know the story about that? I do, yeah. It was supposed to be the Jean-Claude Van Damme video game, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know about Based that. Based on Bloodsport, right? Fantastic. Um, yeah, I just, but yeah, just let people enjoy things, man. Let, let, let yeah. people nerd out. I just don't understand. And I guess the other thing is, is that 
because I know that I, I, and I see how it's impacted me. And so I can talk about this in the way that this stuff has affected me is like, like I said to you earlier in our chat that, you know, like I would go to a movie and I would, I went through a period of time where I'd go to a movie and I could like point out where the hot takes were going to show up. Yeah. You know, like, oh, that's going to get people on Twitter talking. Oh, that's going to get like an article on the movie's death. Oh, that's going to get, you know, it was just like a, I wasn't able to just sort of always, you know, just sit down and enjoy it for what it was. Right. And that's too um, bad. And and I think a lot I, of, the, I think what's sad is that a lot of, like I said, it's, 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 it's kind of a feedback loop. I think a lot of companies are starting to realize that too mm-hmm. and sort of purposefully inserting those moments. Like I, I, I'm pretty convinced that like Netflix like knows how to make a meme <laughs> at this point. Mm-hmm. Like they probably have a whole team of, of team of memers who like, well, I mean, your scene needs this. Here's a spreadsheet on how to create a meme out of that scene. It'll well, be, it'll, to, well yeah. just go to like Giphy and look at like the sources of some of these gifts and you'll find out they're from the studios that made the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I know. know. Yeah. They do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, but so, the, so the solution JP, right? Cause we're not just about complaining. We're not here just to dunk on the dunkers. No, not at all. The solution. I, there's, there's only one solution. There is only one solution. Log off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Bo Burnham's uh, last stand-up special? I think I did. I don't remember. I don't remember the name of it, but it's the one where he talks about how social media is hell and like you just need to leave. And then he just dropped out of doing stand-up comedy and all of that. Hmm. Like you think his own advice. Was that um, was that before he made eighth grade or after? I think it was before. Interesting. Because that's when he decided that, like, you know, he was kind of trapped in his own cycle of, yeah, you know, stuff. Not a bad movie, um, by the way, eighth grade. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm meaning to see it. Um, I really wanted to see it when I was teaching eighth grade. <laughs> and I just never got around to it. It's good. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, you know, JP, I know, and like you said at the beginning, you know, it's hard. It's hard to leave. I mean, like, I, even I say I've left social media, but that's not true. I haven't deleted a single account. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I still. You know, I still log on to Facebook once a week to post links to my, you know, my church stuff. And even when I have like a second or two of downtime, I'll find myself being like, I wonder if anybody's posted anything. And like, you know, I'll get that little notification in the corner. And it, all it is is telling me that some third party person has done something and that they wants me to check them out. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why I don't do this I anymore. That. Yeah, I, I hate you know, when I, the worst thing about Twitter. Like I, I've unfollowed so many people. I've narrowed it down so many people. But now Twitter is like, you need to follow more people. Have you talked about following this person? And I'm like, no. I unfollowed that person for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I deleted Twitter. That's the one I did delete. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it kind of makes – when you get those notifications, it sort of reminds you of the annoying thing that you get in Animal Crossing, if you play Animal Crossing, where know. like you get stuff in the mail that's always telling you about like, oh, your house would look better. You'd get an A-plus house if you had matching furniture. I'm like, well, the, my house is designed the way I want it. This is the, the whole thing of freaking open sandbox game is I can do whatever I want. I don't need you telling me yeah. how to – you know. Which, by the way, has led to a whole movement of people who have just – they've made trash islands, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> they just buy a bunch of, like, industrial stuff and just garbage, and they just completely make their islands look like right. District 9 or whatever. Yeah. Um, sorry. But, um, dude. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it. it's hard because, A, I'm, I'm extremely isolated. And well, it's mostly right. because of the pandemic and also, like, where I live. Um, so like Twitter is kind of like where I get 
most of the things that make me laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also, I guess part of me is still just like, why should I have to log off? They're the ones that suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I could use this for good. Like, I don't, I don't feel the need to dunk on people. I just like, I just, I want to make stuff and I want to share them with people and I want to goof with my friends. You know, why can't it just be that? Um, and I, and I think it can be like, you know, Mastodon. <laughs> ugh, that's actually like a, not very good. I don't really like it. It's very confusing. Um, I actually think it's worse on Twitter like, cause the, because they have like a whole, like, like a main feed. Right. And like, I could just imagine someone just like staring at that feed as it's just like, just going by and just becoming like a freaking zombie. <clears throat> anyway, what I'm trying to make is that I, I don't think social media is bad. I think it could be used for some good. And I found accounts on different platforms that are just like, oh, this is just people making cool stuff. They're not hot takes. They're not dunking on anybody. Um, they're, they're not involved in the discourse. They're just, they're making their art. And um, yeah, that's like the stuff on Instagram I always really liked because I always, I realized like, you know, I was, I followed a lot of surfboard builders and like carpenters and yeah. stuff like that. Like, that's cool. And even like, and I hate to go back to Dan Harmon, but he is, he's kind of a, he's a bit of a mentor. One of my teachers, Martin Scorsese and Dan Harmon are my <laughs> two totally different Titans. I would love two to see pillars, them. the two pillars of JP civilization. They, they really are, dude. Uh, God, what I wouldn't give to see them in a room together. My God. Um, but it's like, uh, like Dan Harmon, he still posts, he doesn't post to Twitter anymore. He left Twitter a long time ago because like he, even he was like, this place is, is hell. Um, and he went to, but he now posts on, on Instagram, but the stuff he posts is like, he's, he's just trying to make stuff. And when he first started using it, he started like using, like do like doing like actual photography. People were like, Hey man, this is like a crappy meme. And he's like, I'm not trying to make memes. Like, <laughs> this is called photography. Right. This isn't for you. Yeah. And like he makes funny stuff. I, I'll, I'll send them to you guys sometimes, and they're kind of funny. Um, and like he gets, it's kind of funny, like how he gets really into it. Like he got really into woodcrafting, and he built his like entire like woodcrafting like laboratory from scratch. And then he needed a way to film everything, and so he tried to put together like this camera rig on the ceiling that he could just like pull around. And like he gave up on everything because he couldn't nail it. <laughs> but now he's back and he's trying to put it all back together again and I'm like that's what I'm here for that's what I want to see I want to see people make stuff and not just like for clicks because he's definitely he doesn't need clicks he doesn't need likes he's, right. he's Dan Harmon right you get to a point that's the interesting thing right is if you're famous for something other than your social media account then you yeah. don't really need the social media account right Right. It can just be a diversion. It can just be something fun for you because you're not having to right? like you could be so famous. You have a publicist that are just using it as sort of like an extension of your personhood or whatever. Right. Or you could be like Dan Harmon where or like um, Josh Martin. Josh Martin is a surfboard builder, a really famous surfboard builder in Southern California or Central California. And he um, his dad was a legend like a legendary surfboard builder and he just sort of inherited his dad's shop and his dad's business. And he has like, he's also inherited just like antique surfing tools. And he makes all these boards with like everything he makes has like this, like just deep rooted history and everything he does. Um, and so like 
he as he says like I, he's like i don't own a tv so like tinkering around in his wood shop is just what he does and so like in addition to showing vo- like videos of him building surfboards he's also showing videos of like here's how to repair a skill 100 power planer in case you have one or here's like how to replace the gear shift box on a vintage dodge ram van you know just different things like that right like that's just you know like he doesn't need it for follows right yeah you know he's just doing it um and that's and my I'll just say my concern, Why one of the reasons why I left Instagram for me was I just found myself constantly just scrolling. And it, it actually wasn't anything bad. It was just I was always scrolling, and I realized that my kids were getting older in front of me, and I just was scrolling. So <laughs> I could see that. And, like, I Instagram is, like, there are times, like, I don't know why I'm on this. Um, but Facebook is good about that, about just sort of getting you to just, you'll just like an hour will pass. Like, why, why am I here? What am I doing? Yeah. Like even they're like target, the discover page. I mean, it's just like a, like a, just like a wasteland Mm -hmm. of people just trying so hard to be like a a big influencer. Like there, there's, (laughs) there's no, there's no art. There's no culture. It's just people like dancing badly mm-hmm. um because oh, now it's trying to be tiktok yeah people dancing badly and like people posting like fan crap like other people's photos mm-hmm. like i'm reading through vogue or something but like i don't even have like the good articles that come with vogue <laughs> i don't have the the helpful articles on like how to dress on a saturday night i don't know it, and, and there's there's a weird there's a weird aesthetic with instagram um there's there was this account that I that I wanted to follow that I thought was interesting because it had sort of a theological bent, but it freaked me out because it was run by a, a wife and husband and they they dressed the same, like they had the exact same look, like they were twins. It's it was just so weird. It was cult like I don't know. And I but I'm like I can just tell they're just like well it's just our aesthetic. Uh, our our market I, I, research has shown that <laughs> like. By the way, I thought I was muted as I'm like drinking this, and I realized I was not muted. So it's I okay. <laughs> no, you did the you did the the time monitored uh, 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 podcast thing where you drink, you sip your drink in front of the microphone. That's... Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Instagram does have this weird aesthetic, and there are weirdos on there, and it just sucks you in, and you'll find yourself like, "Why am I doing this?" It's like the 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 live, laugh, love, love labels. And listen, you know what? If those things make you come to life, good on you. Um, they make me want to hurt myself um, <laughs> when I see them. Because this is not for me. Um, but like there's that and there's this weird there's this uh, I mean my I feel like it's music made to like make someone go insane like if I were in a standoff I would use the music but like there's this weird sort of royalty free synthy music that everybody uses and it's and I don't think they understand audio engineering because it's all extremely loud Um, it just kind of I know exactly what you're talking about I don't this Instagram is hell. It is its own hell, <laughs> separate from Twitter. Every every social media is its own hell, though, right? And one thing we haven't even touched on is how, like, you know, these things are, you know, decentralizing democracies and yeah, yeah, you I know, mean, like ruining entire societies because Mark Zuckerberg needs to make more money for some reason, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and that's and that's honestly the thing for me is at some point. I had to realize 
I got to walk away from like, I don't want to participate in this anymore. Not just because of my concerns about it does to us as people and individuals, just on the big picture thing, like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is being rewarded for yeah. allowing election conspiracies I know. to persist. Um, Although the big news recently, though, is that uh, Facebook kind of gave in to Apple and their privacy requirements and stuff. Yeah, because they were, yeah, I mean, that, that's another thing, right? They didn't want to give into the privacy stuff, right? They wanted to, you know, and Apple's weirdly doing a good thing. <laughs> I know. Yeah. They're, well, they're, they're obsessed with the ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. Closing it all in. And they just didn't want to, they didn't want to negotiate with Facebook to let them in that, right. that, that system. Which yeah, I Apple, mean, it, it's Apple, just good and bad. And Disney are like all the same kind of, they have the similar kind of philosophy, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, well, it's a uh, world conquering philosophy, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, if we just employed that, Chuck, maybe we could have our own ecosystem. Uh, you know, maybe we already I, do. <laughs> listen, man, I'll tell you. Sometimes when I'm at Disney World and I, I see the way things have run, I'm like, you know, would it be terrible <laughs> if they just ran it all? Um, hmm. It would be. Um, <laughs> you know, but I. Um, but that's that's I mean I, 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 for me just I keep coming back to the fact that the the common denominator in all of this is this social media thing that we don't need, right? And and I've seen so many people post things online about like you know I saw something once shortly before I just I removed all the apps from my phone so I don't have any social media on my phone so if I have to look at it, I have to be on a computer. That's good. Um, and I saw shortly before I made that decision I saw a post where somebody said something like. Do you ever find yourself praying for the solar flare to come and just knock out the power grid and we can return <laughs> to the 90s before all this horrible stuff happened? I'm like, well, you could do that actually right now yeah. if you just had the willpower to do it. Right. Um, See, my thing isn't even willpower. I, I just – I feel like I, I, I could control it. Like I feel like I can, I can ride that stallion. Like I can – No, uh, I get it. I, I get can, it. I can get it under control because I, like I said, I'm, I'm a believer in, in sharing one's art and I've seen good stuff. And if I could just curate it perfectly, <laughs> maybe I'm chasing right. a dragon. <laughs> I, don't know. I know. I, I know. With Facebook, I, I sat down right after, shortly after I moved to Hawaii. I went through and I, I, li I literally unfollowed everyone except for like yeah. five people or something. And you know what? Yeah. They still show up in my timeline. The people <laughs> I unfollow. They just start creeping back in because the algorithm, the almighty algorithm, has decided that I have to see everything constantly. Oh my gosh, the the, the algorithms are out of control. Like, let me, um, you know what else is 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 is, is dangerous and scary? And I, I had to delete it just because, like, not because I wasn't having any success, but because it's like I knew that this was sort of purposely being stacked against me. Tinder, mm -hmm. most dating apps, actually. Because I've I've sort of found out that uh, they're not actually doing what they advertise that they're doing, which Shock. is to put you in front of people. And when you and, and and when you find out like what's going on, it makes perfect sense. Like, of course, there's probably more dudes than women on these apps. Of course, there are. So of course, you're going to be like, we got to weed some of these guys out. Let's just use the ones who get the swiped on the most. And so like you're so like you could be just a just a, a plain dude. Who's, who doesn't have a picture of his abs, uh, just swiping endlessly. But that's all you're doing. You're just swiping because you're not being put in front of anybody. So no one's swiping on mm -hmm. you. So just you're just swiping into the void. Mm -hmm. When when I had that realization, I was like, that's scary, dude. 
That's that's worse than the these other social media apps. Like, imagine if like all your friends on Facebook or or, or Instagram like just didn't know you existed, and like right. you're like liking things and sending messages and commenting, but they just didn't see any of it. That's what yeah. these dating apps are. Right. It's its own special kind of hell. Yeah. I can make a recommendation for a book for you that helped helped me with social media. Okay. And that is How to Do Nothing by Ginny O'Dell. Interesting. Okay. I've never heard of that. Uh, the I mean, the joke that I make with people is like, why do you need a book that tells you how to do nothing? Shouldn't it just be like blank pages? Um, but she writes about the stuff that we're talking about. But she's where you're at in the sense that she's like, social media can be a force for equity and good. She's a avowed socialist. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's like, you know, so it can, you know, the, 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 the fact that it allows, you know, that social media can be, can be used by, you know, marginalized and oppressed people to be able to amplify their voices and perspectives. Like that's just something that we, you know, we shouldn't just be like, Oh, let's get rid of social media because then we would be getting rid of that power from these, these people. And she said, you know, but we have to be strategic in the way we use this stuff. Yeah. And she seems to, she seems to be really concerned about sort of the, the impact on spirituality and the way that it affects the way we notice the world around us. And so she wrote the whole book about strategic use of social media and the importance of putting it down and paying attention to your local environment and then looking at ways in which social media can supplement that rather than, you know, replace it or whatever. Very fascinating book. She talks a lot about bird watching. So get ready for that if you read it. But <laughs> Well, that's that that's an interesting thing you brought up because it, it also kind of reminds me of uh, a socialist I used to follow because I did like a big purge. But he came to a very interesting conclusion. He's a podcaster on a very famous podcast that I used to listen to um, called Chapo Trap House. Sure. Joe, Joe Rogan. That's a no noted yeah. socialist. Joe noted Rogan. socialist Joe Rogan. Good lord. Um, but uh, it was interesting because you know they created this podcast where the whole thing was just like we're just going to make fun of the Democrats from a left perspective. That's going to be like our claim to fame. I mean, we don't like the Republicans either, but like their whole thing was like criticizing Hillary. That was like what set them apart, and it, like it right. skyrocketed them to fame. They're the most successful. Uh, uh, account on Patreon. They make the most money on Patreon. Still do. And big ride or die Bernie stands. And when the 2020 um, uh, primaries rolled around, they got really involved. And part of that was, you know, one of the big claims, claims to fame is that they all met on Twitter. And so they're all big, uh, weird Twitter accounts that kind mm -hmm. of also intersect with leftist Twitter. And so their whole thing is just like, harassing journalists um and once the primary ended and, and bernie was out one of them had this kind of like epiphany about social media and interacting with politics on social media and it's that it was all a spectacle that it doesn't mm -hmm. amount to anything that this whole thing where like you watch the news and something makes you mad or gives you some kind of emotion and you go on to Twitter and you express it or you find seek people out who are talking about it and jump in to like add your piece or like, you know, harass somebody or like make fun of somebody or, or you know, join some kind of like Twitter mob that, you know, you're not doing anything. This is like this is useless. This mm -hmm. is all 
the spectacle of American politics. And that the only thing to do is to log off. And he called it being grill pilled. <laughs> because this is around the time when like there was all these kind of different kind of pills. It's sort of like a satirical take. Like there was that clown pill, right? Or no, honk pilled <laughs> when Joker came out. Okay. Um so like you take it the idea is like it, you know, it stems from red pill philosophy, right? Right, right, right. But like there's all different kinds of pills that have stemmed from that. And he called this grill pill because it was based on a meme that was I just want a grill. Um, huh? I just want a grill. Yeah. Everyone's talking about this and this and this, and I just want a grill. And so he kind of took that meme to heart where it's like, everyone's talking about elections. Everyone's talking about politics. No. What if we just grill? And so to grill actually meant like you're going to log off and you're actually going to find a hobby or something you can do in reality that actually impacts politics, like joining a union. Or getting involved in some kind of mutual aid stuff, or mm-hmm. you know, that's being grill pilled. And it's he <laughs> he just kind of created this whole philosophy around it, uh, where he like streamed every single day on Twitch. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was like on acid for most of it. Um, <laughs> but like, it was kind of funny. It's it's one of those weird internet things where it's like the satirical part of it it's like it's like deeply ironic that they're creating a like philosophy but it's not really supposed to be taken seriously but like the core of it is which is basically like stop being so invested online stop doing stop thinking that you're doing politics by arguing with jake tapper when you should be like doing stuff in real life i will say that what what it make, what his notion kind of gets me at it's uh i just watched tron legacy last night with my kids um again love that movie um, and we're going to talk about it at some point in the show. Um, but there's a whole bit in the beginning of the movie where Sam Flynn, Kevin Flynn's son, um, it shows that he pulls his annual prank on the company that he should be running, which is Encom. And what his prank on this one is, is that he, you know, leaks their new operating system to the, uh, to the internet and, you know, forces it as like a free gift, like it's a free upgrade or whatever. Um, but then he just goes right back to his apartment and they don't see him again. Right. And so, uh, Alan Bradley, shows up and is talking to him and says, you know, like, you know, you, you know, the, the board is willing to put up with, you know, the weird charities and the annual prank and you know, and Sam says, well, do I look at the sort of guy who should be running a fortune 500 company? And he says, um, no, I don't. He says, and I think the board is happy with you right where you're at. Right. Cause there's that sense of they'll put up with, they'll put up with the shenanigans because ultimately it's letting them continue to do exactly what they want to do. And I, think that that's probably what we're seeing with a lot of the social media stuff too, right? This whole like clicktivism type stuff where, you know, we're getting people thinking that they're accomplishing something, but you're not. Um, other than I guess raiding the Capitol. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, but for the most part, right. It just allows, it allows the powers that be just continue maintaining their status quo and just keep doing what they've always been doing because, you know, we've convinced you that being loud on the internet is going to amount to anything. It ain't. Yeah, like, like that, that's, I mean, and, and, well, and they've convinced people that, like, listening to podcasts and watching your favorite news channel, whether it's Fox or CNN or MSNBC, um, and following your, your favorite politicians on, on Twitter, like, that is doing politics. Right. When there was a time when we actually did do politics that, that wasn't just voting or signing, you know, petitions, we organized. 
Right. Well, and the idea that politics is its own sphere is kind of an interesting development in the modern age because, right, like when you say hello to your neighbor, you're doing politics right. in the most like literal sense of the word, right? Like that's just, you know, when you have two people in a society interacting with one another, you're doing politics. Right. Um, but I think of um, back when I was in high school, I was really into computer hacking. Mm-hmm. Like I was a wannabe computer hacker. I was not a elite hacksaw, but I was, you know, I was really into the the thing. And I used to read Twenty Six Hundred magazine. Do you remember Twenty Six Hundred magazine? No. The Hacker Quarterly. I I, I didn't read any of that. Sorry. Oh, okay. I was I was a good person. I <laughs> I read it. I actually read it for the politics. I was just very okay. fascinated by the anarchist politics of hackers. And the funny thing about Twenty Six Hundred magazine when they used to publish it is they published it in a size that was perfect for slipping in your back pocket because they wanted you to actually steal the magazine from the stores rather than buy it. Nice. Um, but um, I remember on Twenty Six Hundred magazine there was like a, a rant from somebody who was all like hanging out on message boards all day with other hackers does not make you a hacker. You're only a hacker when you're actually doing the computer work, when you're actually, you know, engaged in hacking. And I think, again, this is, this is a similar notion to what we're talking about here is when you're just sort of consuming media and participating in a virtual sphere, there's nothing concrete or real going on with it. You're not doing the actual work of it. And so, yeah. And you know, what, what, what kind of, worries me a little um for you chuck is that now there's a thing called uh weird christian twitter and the thing is like that's what 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 i just laid out about being grill pilled and stuff that is the direction that goes where people are going to think like oh i'm i'm doing religious work by Mm -hmm. interacting with these accounts on social media Oh yeah. Or listening to this podcast or reading these articles. Yeah. And I think, and I'm concerned that it's going to get worse with the, now that the pandemic has just made us all televangelists. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, the, yeah, the weird twist, the weird, the weird Christian social media stuff is very fascinating. Weird Catholic Twitter. I've read about them. I think I shared an article with you about them. Um, yeah. What's, what's really funny is I know that one of the guys at the center of that is Rob Dreher. Yes, right. Roger Ayer. Who wrote this really bizarre Benedict article Gosh. about how he was afraid his wife was being demon-possessed or something. Yeah, Roger is an interesting dude. He wrote a book that was sort of a landmark book for a certain segment of the Christian world. It's called The Benedict Option. And I actually had my previous parish read it because I knew it would challenge us. It's um, But The Benedict Option is all about he's like so afraid of gay people. That's what it comes down to. Dude is so afraid of gay people that he thinks Christians ought to be like pulling out of society, pulling out of politics and living in our own sort of communities. I mean, I think there's some merit to his argument actually, but I think he goes about it the wrong way. I think the idea of fostering a community where your fidelity is to the church and to Jesus first, I think has some really strong merits and is a very good corrective for what we see passing for a lot of American Christianity these days but not the way Rod Dreher right. proposes it. I mean, he's, he's using um, Orthodox Jewish communities as his inspiration, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. But um, Kind of like yeah, those Orthodox Jewish communities that aren't at all uh, unfriendly or unwelcoming. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, right, because that's the risk of that. But that's the thing is that's the risk of Christian life, is that the risk of Christian life is that it always, you're always open to the prospect of violence. Like, that's, that's, the, that's what it's about, right? Like, hmm. The heart of the Christian story is a guy 
who loved people so much they killed him for it. Yeah. You know, they didn't kill Jesus because, you know, of his stance on WandaVision. They didn't <laughs> kill Jesus because, you know, he, you know, refused to bake a cake for a gay couple, right? They killed Jesus because he loved the wrong kind of people. And, you know, and so this whole like mentality of, you know, withdrawal and all of that, I think is something to be concerned about. And that it's big on this in some of these the communities that you're talking about here. But at the same time, I think there's still some bits of merit that are worth drawing out in terms of fidelity and faithfulness and things like that. But yeah, but getting back to this idea of like the idea that we're that we're doing religion when we're doing it through social media, right? Like, I mean, that kind of takes it back to the televangelist days, right? Where we're like, it was instead of going to church, people were watching, you know. Old yeah. I, well, I, I remember like the Methodists were having a really big debate over whether or not you could do internet communion. Hmm. And I, I, at the time that that was starting to first ramp up, I was working at the bookstore at my seminary, which happened to be run by the Methodist church. So my manager was Methodist. And so he and I, a very, and very progressive Methodist. And so he and I were debating back and forth about this. And he was sort of like, you know, totally, we can totally do internet communion. Like, why not? You know, what about you? You know, what about the person who's agoraphobic and you know is afraid to be around people or blah 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 blah? And I just remember thinking like, well, but isn't our goal to not leave people where they're at, but to sort of like bring them into right. a tangible world, right? Like that's, I mean, again, getting back to our heaven conversation, right? That's what it's all about is actually making this world better, right? Not yeah. leaving it flawed and broken, and so it's about becoming more enfleshed in a lot of ways. Um, and so, you know, so, yeah, I think there's that, there's a real concern of, of allowing, of, of not, of, of abdicating that responsibility of drawing people into flesh and blood community. I mean, like you mentioned, right. The big, one of the big reasons why you're still like, why it's hard for you to quit social media is because that's a big place where you get your community. Right. Yeah. So on one hand, like I get that mm -hmm. on the other hand. I feel like as the church, we should be fostering such a thing that you should be able to find flesh and blood community with people close to you. Right. Um, I know the pandemic, of course, makes that tough in a lot of circumstances, right? But that's outside of our control in a lot of ways. Um, but like this social media stuff that we're doing in the church should always, I think, should always be seen as a supplement to the real thing, not a replacement for the real thing. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, but it, it, of course it raises so many interesting conversations around like people supplementing, you know, like, you know, say you've got somebody who like they found me online, they like my preaching, mm -hmm. but they live in like Iowa. And so they go to a local church. They're like, oh, I like the Episcopal church, you know, as, a, as an entity, the local parish has some interesting people I can put up with. The pastor's terrible. Like, he's not a good preacher, but I like the church community. So I'll go to church there. But then I'm going to tune on to Charles Browning's sermon from Hawaii online later on in the day. And now suddenly I'm like the source like of this guy's, you know, like yeah. spiritual stuff. And I've never met him, you know, and he's not part of you. So it becomes this whole interesting. And I've, I've, a couple of my friends and I have sort of talked about how this is something we're going to have to reflect on at some point. Like what right, this all means because for the, the parasocial relationship aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Start thinking yeah. About that. Like can't can't should should the clergy foster parasocial relationships? Right. That's an interesting question to ask.
Yeah. Well, there's there's uh, at least one diocese in the Episcopal Church has done a and during the pandemic has done a digital church plant. Hmm. They don't actually have they have like a room where they record stuff, but yeah. they don't actually have any kind of a church building or people in that building. They everything they do is completely online. I and I don't see, know how that works. Yeah, I could see good and bad. You know, there's there's I found a streamer um on Twitch called a uh, Healthy Gamer GG. And he's actually this really brilliant um doctor uh who was going to become uh, uh a Hindu monk. Um but then I think he just decided to be a therapist instead and went to Harvard. And now he streams. Um, and he does therapy with, uh, I mean, he, he has like, he kind of turned into a big organization to where he like coaches people on how to like, you know, have therapy with like other people that counsel other people and stuff so that he doesn't have to talk to every single person. Cause you just can't do that because <laughs> it's grown right, yeah. so much. But now like, you know, he'll do a stream with like, you know, famous streamers and talking about their problems. He's basically kind of become like Twitch's Oprah and that he's like hmm. made famous streamers like cry. <laughs> As they talk about their problems and stuff on Twitch, um, yeah. but it's interesting though because that that he kind of has like these little underlings that sort of like that he's that he's coached so that they can reach out to so that people can reach out to them and just kind of like almost kind of through proxy of like his way of approaching you know that slew of whatever you have to talk about. Right. So I, I think I think. Like, and I don't think that's necessarily bad. I think that's a good thing. I think people, yeah. I mean, you do get to watch someone have a breakthrough, and it is it is a genuine breakthrough. I watch mm-hmm. these things, and it's it reminded me of my own um, experience with therapy and stuff. Watching these people go through it, like I, I took that same journey too, and I, I recognize it. So it's it's not a it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I can see how it could become bad. Right. Well, and I think it in terms of Christianity, right? The the part that makes the part that makes an entirely online christian community basically impossible in my thinking is i don't know how you do sacramental how you have a sacramental life right because sacraments involve tangible objects and people being in the same space you know participating in that um but but that being said that's actually a relatively i mean it's obviously major and important and centrally important in the christian life but it amounts to a really small part of the Christian life, right? Because it's really that Sunday morning is what we're talking about here. And, you know, a couple of, you know, milestone moments in your life throughout the year. Um, You know, day-to-day Christian living is, you know, happens in a home, happens in a workplace, happens in your car, happens when you're walking around, happens in, you know, a whole range of other things. And so, you know, while you're on your daily commute, you pop on, like, say, our podcast, and you're listening to us, and that gives you some kind of spiritual insight. Obviously, I'm going to say that I think that's a good thing, right? Right? Or you know, ask you, to, you know, invites you to ask some tough questions about about stuff. Like, that's great. You know, if it leads you to have a breakthrough, that's legitimate. It's not illegitimate. And here's so, and, to, and to interject a little, Chuck. Here's mm-hmm. where I think we were ahead of the curve. Okay. Uh, if I can, if I can brag on our podcast. For a minute. You should. Um, when we sought out to do this podcast, we all explicitly agreed, and we all have the same idea, you, me, and Matt, that this was not going to be like a Christian podcast. Right. Like we weren't going to have an altar call at the end of each episode. Yeah. And we weren't going to do the youth group thing where it's like, let's make a theological concept palatable by relating it to Spider Man. 
right. which I think is both insulting to God and Spider-Man. Right. Um, <laughs> the gospel according to the Matrix. Yeah, exactly. We weren't going to do that. And I think that we kind of like, I could see, we didn't want to do it because we thought it was lame. <laughs> right. It was lame and it's also sort of inauthentic. Um, but what's interesting is I think we, we do kind of, we do, we did kind of avoid something by doing that and that like, you don't, this is not doing church, right? Listening to us is not doing religion or doing politics or even doing criticism. This is, this is more like a friend simulator (laughs) (laughs) because we are just sort of talking to each other as friends because that was sort of the idea. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, I think, I think the, I think of what we do is similar to, like the gallery series about the Mandalorian on Disney plus where okay. you have like all the directors and other people in the creative process, of the Mandalorian sitting around a table and talking about what they were doing and what they were making. Right. Like, kind of like a, like a comic con panel. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're doing a panel. Yeah. Just, that's just what we do. We just do a panel right. Right. every week. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think too, I mean, when it gets right down to it, what this podcast really is, is this is the crap that we would just talk about anyway. So yeah. we decided to stick a microphone in the middle of it and just say like, yeah, okay. If you want to listen to it, then well, fine. Here which you is go. funny. Cause like we, we've kind of talked about doing something like this ever since we were in college. What if we did like a Bible study that wasn't a Bible study? <laughs> you, Yo, know, you, mean, you mean, which is like this. Exactly. Which is where, where that, where that came from. Right. Art the art barge. Yeah. The art barge Bible study, which is our art collage Bible study. Yeah. So this is kind of always, this is, it's like, you know, it's fight club. It's always existed in a, on the tip of our tongues and uh, we just never, <laughs> never give it a name. Uh, but uh, so here we are. So here we are. But I want to circle all that back around to like why you shouldn't dunk on people on Twitter. Because you're, you're not these people who are dunking on this, you know, innocuous line from a TV show. From a company that probably r- rules about a quarter of the world, sure, you're not you're not being subversive. You're not you actually aren't punching up. Not to say you're punching down, you're not punching anything. It is just spectacle to 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 behave in that way on- online, unless you know you're you're goofing with your friends, right? So, I don't. I don't know. Don't don't dunk on people because you're not even really doing anything. You're not. It's 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 like an unattractive person on Tinder. You're just swiping into the void. It actually makes me think of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, right? That vanity is vanity. Everything is vanity and just, you know, chasing after the wind. Yeah. Right. Um, oh, it'd be great if Matt were here because Matt and I went to go see Rob Bell a couple years ago and Matt and Rob in his. um. um is it called Surprise My Joy? Was that his series that he did the tour of? Anyway, it um, it was one about joy. I can't remember the title of it, but he talks about Ecclesiastes in it. And he talks about this sense of, you know, Proverbs is the book that gives us the, the here the if you do X, Y, and Z, then here are the good things that are going to happen in your life. But Ecclesiastes is the book that's like for the people who know that doing X, Y, and Z isn't always going to result in good things, right? That sometimes you're going to do X, Y, and Z and life is still going to turn out like garbage because life is random and unpredictable. And there's the kind of sort of deep wisdom, you know, that, you know, that in it, he would use like that sense of emptiness. He would use the illustration by spraying a, uh, like a plant sprayer. Like that's what he's saying. This is, it's just, yeah, it's just, that's what it is. Right. 
Like you have to realize it's here, it's gone, all of that, right? And so learn to appreciate what you have in the here and the now. Um, and, but I think that, you know, because that's what, you know, the, the Koholeth, the preacher, the, the author of Ecclesiastes, you know, traditionally Solomon, um, is uh, looking at the world around him in his world-weary times and is realizing that, you know, a lot of it was a lot of a lot of his life was spent chasing after what he thought was important at the time. But it turned out it was really just nothing. And so, right, like the important thing is to eat, drink, be merry. Um, grill. And worship me and grill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I'm so glad I got to talk about the grill pill on this podcast. <laughs> Well, do you remember that really embarrassing dad moment where you were you kept dropping grilling stuff and I thought you were being like legit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was funny. I'm going to start sharing like my steak recipe with you. <laughs> well, what you want to do is you want to get a rub and you want to uh, make sure that the propane and propane no. accessories. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, you don't do propane. Here's the secret. You want to know the secret to okay, a good steak? Right, the steak? Cast iron skillet. Ooh, you need a yeah. good cast iron skillet, okay? Mm. Don't do it on a grill grill. Actually, Chris, the cast iron skillet, okay? What you want to do first is you want to you want to get a good uh, you want to get a good amount of olive oil in that pan. Yeah. Once it starts to shimmer, then you dump some butter in there, right? And let that kind butter of butter and thing. olive oil, Ma- mm-hmm. Chuck. You are a madman. You're gonna kill me. So so what you but you don't overboard it. Like you you <laughs> basically like you're gonna do half and half. Like whatever you would do, like in the amount of butter for the pan. Okay. You. You cut that in half, and then you make up for it with the olive oil. All right, all right. All right? But, yeah, you get a little medium-medium high heat, right, until it shimmers. Then make sure your steaks are already at, like, sort of room temperature. They've sat out, and you've allowed them you've allowed them to sit in a dry in a dry rub marinade or just salt, you know, that you've rubbed in for, you know, maybe an hour or so beforehand. Some people would say overnight in the fridge if you really – if you if, if you're nasty. Um, but then what you do is – once you get that, once you get that butter good and melted, you drop your steaks on, and then you just sort of keep them going back and forth, back and forth until you know you don't want them to be too burned on one side or the other. You want to get that bark just right, and then there you go. And that's how you organize your workplace <laughs> or your church. That too. There yeah. you go. Free steak recipe. <laughs> nice. No, I didn't tell you my special rub ingredients, but that's uh, that's, oh. that's proprietary information. That one, I'll, I'll give you that if you pay hey, the Patreon. Yeah, actually. donate to the Patreon for Chuck's secret uh, <laughs> <or> secret recipe. <laughs> How great would that be? You know what's funny is like our Patreon. Uh, Matt wrote our Patreon thing, and I've been meaning to like change it because that's like not what you write on a Patreon. What he wrote, it's good. I like it. Still promise a Gundam to people. No, it's also it's mostly just like we don't know what we're gonna offer. <laughs> but the way he wrote it is actually really clever, and I like it. And uh, uh, remember Matt, remember Matt, folks. Remember, I remember Matt. <laughs> He'll come back soon, Matt. I hope. We miss Matt. We do, Matt. If you're listening, buddy, you know it's around the corner, right? You know it's around the corner. Music mayhem. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can make me suffer through another album. <laughs> <laughs> we all know you can't resist. I want to thank Father Chuck for being here and for sharing his wisdom <laughs> and his steak recipe. Drop it, drop in that Patreon. I'll give you my, I'll give you my dry rub, my dry rub <laughs> mixture. I'll do it. Yeah, dude. Um, so thank you for for being here. Thank you so much for listening. Don't, I mean, like, 
definitely like. Leave a like. Leave a comment. Uh, let us know. Um, what should you do? What, what, what do we want to hear from you? Give us your, your hottest take on... <laughs> What's your version of the grill pill? Yeah, what are you going to do when you log off? For me, I, I'm, I'm going to get back to watching movies. What are you going to do when you log off? Uh, I'm going to um, prepare for my, um, for my, my, my Christian formation book study that's this evening and then go pick up my kid from school and then maybe go surfing for a little bit. There you, there you go. You see that? Chuck is grill-pilled to the max. <laughs> and, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm grill-pilled, man. Just L-I-V-I-N, baby. <laughs> Live it. Great. You really, you, you're going to become like our Matthew McConaughey. That's sure. That's I would, actually, I would love it if I was in like his like physical shape and I could just do like shirtless episodes of the podcast. <laughs> you're just like drinking kombucha out of a, like a, out of a, out of a jar. <laughs> like, that I made myself. It's out of the mason jar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh man, you just gotta like, you just gotta live. You know, you gotta get that girl pill. I'll tell you, I'll tell you my rub recipe. You just gotta, you gotta subscribe to that Patreon. You know what I mean? All right, brother. I'm doing a terrible Matthew McConaughey, but it's fine. No, you're doing no. What you're doing is great. I don't know what it is, but it's great. <laughs> All right. That guy's voice. That guy. Yeah. Your captain. That's his voice. Oh, you want to know something strange about this? Is he, does it watch you at night? The old man in the sea here. Mm-hmm. So my my mom got me this painting like 10 years ago, like a decade ago. Like I think like a Salvation Army or a thrift store or something. But apparently Seth Myers from Weekend Update fame, who now mm-hmm. has his own show, he's been doing his shows from his home because of the pandemic. Right. He has a painting just like this in his uh, basement and it was just like hanging on his wall. And then he started doing bits with it to the point where it started becoming, it started to become voiced by Jason Sudeikis. No, no, not Jason Sudeikis, not Jason Sudeikis. Um, um, Last man on earth. Will, Will Forte. Will Forte. And it's not the exact same painting, but it's, it's eerily similar. Same beard, same hat, same coat, same boat in the background. That's the part that freaked me out. Because this is just a captain, but there was a boat in the background just like this one. And uh, do you think it was? Do you think it was done at like a portrait painting school? Like there was like a whole bunch of people did them, or or is this one of those things that like if everyone looks in their basement, they have one? Maybe I don't know. No idea. <laughs> I just thought that was so creepy. It was so weird. Now everyone's gonna think I'm like copying Seth Meyers or putting him on my wall. Whatever. I don't. I don't watch. I don't like Seth Meyers. <laughs> You should email him though and be like, "Okay, I've had this thing for ten years. Tell me the story of yours, <laughs> and maybe you, maybe we get to be on Seth Meyers." Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, Rem- remotely. How cool would that be? Yeah, that'd be sweet. Okay, so join us again next week. Have a wonderful week. Good journey. Good journey. We could treat Seth, My- Seth Meyers the way that Good Christian Fund treated us. 